Michael Butler, the man, the myth. Um, First off, I wanted to apologize for um, sort of getting you on a podcast date the other day and then bailing because my life blew up and then telling you probably the wrong time today. And um, anyway, but we're here and I'm looking forward to chatting. And I've been uh, sort of, just to get us rolling here, I've been sort of tacitly, uh, well, not tacitly, quietly trolling you on Facebook and seeing, you know, I, I, a lot of my former students and friends and colleagues who I, <clears throat> you know, have met over the years and it's like my Facebook tree is growing larger and larger every soci and it's fun to see how folks are, are navigating the world now years later. When did you come to soci? What year was that? Uh, 2014, I think. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me. So yeah. we have like Seven years is enough time yeah. for for Aaron Butler to look back, and you have some data points. Is my point here, <laughs> <laughs> for better? Or I worse. guess so. Sure. Yeah. Um, but we were sort of chatting before we got on the record here about how you're doing, and I, I sort of um, I want to let you start here. How are you? Uh, how is life? How was life in the past year and a half? I'm going to assume a lot of things about how your life was, but I would prefer that you just tell me because I, I think we're all assuming about how everybody's doing these days, and I don't want to assume anything. Um, how was your life this last year? What did you, where was your head at? Um, it it was, you know, I think in the grand scheme of things, my last year wasn't nearly as bad as it could have been. Mm. You know, I got to keep, I mean, I didn't get to play any concerts or anything, obviously, but Mm -hmm. like I was still able to rehearse here at Mm -hmm. UW and like we had in-person rehearsals and Mm -hmm. recording sessions and stuff. And you know, it, it. I think in the moment I was like, it was like this is so hard, and what is this even worth it? You know, I had I was having these like, as I'm sure most people were, yeah, uh, we all you were. know, kind yeah. of struggle of like, why am I even doing this right now? Like, what's the point if I can't do this other thing? But right. you know, thinking about some other friends of mine who were even more isolated <clears> uh, and couldn't didn't even have that like they couldn't even get in a room with two other people, and you know work out notes just for themselves or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so in the grand scheme, it was, it was okay, but it was, it's, it was different to not, you know, not have the things that I feel like make me a, a, a full person available to me, you know? Yeah. Well, I would say, I mean, <clears throat> uh, again, like I'm, I'm trying to call balls and strikes here. So tell me if, if, uh, the pitch you threw was a ball or a strike and I'll, uh, and, but like, I, I have observed some things about you just online that this past year that, um, I feel was a positive, it felt to me like a positive thing about you that I think I've kind of always felt that you have this sort of, um, <clears throat> not I lone wolf is the wrong word that implies like you're going to go shoot up UPS or something, but <laughs> yeah. like, you know, like, but you have this streak in you where you're totally fine being in a room by yourself with a vibraphone patched into a loop pedal and a distortion pedal and not that that's what you want to do your entire life, but like, that's not something that I wake up every day thinking I want to do. And, and I'm curious if that's, if me, like, is that a part of you that has always been there? And is like, I've just now noticed, or is that something that the pandemic sort of like squeezed out of you because you had no other choice? Uh, I think that's always been there a bit. Like, yeah, I, you know, I think, I'm happy to do that stuff. If anything, I think in a lot of ways I did less of that over the pandemic. I think, especially in the early few months, I I think I was like trying to use it as a time to like, what if I didn't 
make art every day or something or like you know like like it would this be okay with me like you know getting older and like thinking about the future and like do i just keep slugging away at this is there anything else i can possibly do you know and uh and i i so i i kind of like actively took took a step back uh you know through last summer i think and i think the answer and that's another thing that's like you know it's, it's it feels weird to say there's like a bright side or a benefit for me coming out of a pandemic that was terrible but mm-hmm. i i think the answer is like i'm like no there's i don't think there's anything else that i can do mm-hmm. you know like i think this is it so but it but it was nice it, it was like because there was nothing necessary no obligations you know i was able to like to unplug from that that thing of mm. of doing that and, and seeing how that went um but but yeah i i, I think generally i i, I can uh, sit by myself for a long time and be okay <laughs> well I, I, yeah i mean i it's I, I mean that's one thing that i've i've identified you know i've just sort of noticed about about you and your your online presence is that a lot of your i mean you're very supportive of other people's stuff and you're always telling things you know telling people about things you love and and, and that sort of thing but in terms of the stuff you present that is your like the stuff I know and no one's around and <laughs> you know, the lights are on and nobody's, nobody's in the building except for you, you know, yeah. and the janitors are even gone. You're not even going to get kicked out. Like right. that is the stuff that I see you putting up online. And, and I, <clears throat> that's why I asked about the pandemic. Cause for me, and I, and I'm curious about something you said, like, cause it resonated with me. Like the first month of the, the pandemic, I think I had a similar, and I don't, I would say that no matter across the spectrum, even if you're not a musician, I think a lot of people were like, no, I'm not doing anything, you know, like right. don't, nobody's going to tell me what to do right now. And, mm-hmm. but I think in terms of how it affected musicians for myself, I was really disappointed in, in humanity or in the other people outside of the arts who all of a sudden were like, musicians, this is your time. <laughs> Yeah, you know, right. Like, yeah. There's no time like the present. You've got your instruments, you've got your cameras, and you've got your love of music. And, right. Yeah. And I there was a, there was a tiny part of me that just turned into like the three year old child on the ground with a tantrum, and I'm like, no, I'm not doing anything <laughs> for you, even though I'd like technically that's my job to do things for you. And yes, so percussion is. We, you know, we were transitioning to this online presence for a year and a half, and it's like I, none of us wanted. Well, I'll speak for myself. I didn't want want to transition online. Like nobody, right. there was a moment where even organizationally, we we're just like, no, 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 and and that lasted longer for me as an individual than it was able to last for so as an organization. We couldn't just kick our feet and stamp and scream. We had students who were like had sent us money right. to come to Sosi, you know. So like. Right. Yeah. There was only so much we as an org organization could do that, but bro, you know. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, it's funny. That you, yeah, I wonder if maybe there was some type of like I'm still like maybe it was like an active like you know rebellion against that kind of standpoint. But I now yeah, it feels like three years ago already. You know, but like yeah, yeah I'm remembering that thing of like oh the creatives can. <clears throat> you finally have time to do this stuff. And it's like, why are we, you know, pushing like hustle culture <laughs> when we're all dealing with like an unprecedented in our lifetime event, you know, and we're still like, 
Right. But we can we can just get more work done. You know? Well, and the thing that's interesting, though, that was like both frustrating, but also kind of a little bit encouraging to me because, you know, the, the, the term household culture is a thing and I and I stamp my feet about it. it's like, no, I don't I don't want your exposure right now. Like this isn't the time to like offer musicians exposure because now the world can watch you online, you know. Right. Um, <clears throat> but some of my DNA lights up when there's a big open field of possibilities and the only way to get, or not the only way, but all that has to happen is you have to build something and convince all those people in front of you that you're the, you're the most awesome. Your passion is the most awesome thing. Like there's a part of my DNA that lights up at that. That's like, <gasps> like that's what so does every day. And we're not out there trying to like, <clears throat> you know, scorch earth policy, like get rid of other percussion groups or something. But like, there's this part of me that's like, oh. and if all I have to do is hustle to get to that, you know, anyway, I'm saying I fought against that, but right. people change really quickly. You, as soon as June hit and all of a sudden, you know, you have George Floyd, you have uh, all the protests, you have all this stuff. Everybody just decided like, okay, time's over. We're done being inside alone. We're going to be together online and figure this out. And then that's when right. the videos got better, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Um, we weren't singing imagine with 15 different famous people <laughs> all out of key anymore. You know, that was sort of like right. we were evolving as a species and um, right. the hustle culture reemerged and people, sort of won at that in a weird way, you know, but it's like, anyway, just to say like what creeped to the top during this lockdown was a lot of people trying to climb to the top and figure it out, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, you I don't have a good question in there. I'm sorry. There's yeah, that just no, it was an observation. You, yeah. No, you, you guys yeah. stayed pretty busy though. Yeah. Like, I mean, you were, yeah. I mean, like, well, did you get to like unplug or like yeah. have your pandemic, like, I'm just going to like be by myself and like live in my head for, for me personally or for as, or so as an organization like for you, for you. Cause so was bit, like, so mm-hmm. was you, you guys were still putting on the Brooklyn bound regularly and stuff like that. Right. Like, there was yeah, some, that, that um, stuff came <clears throat> a little, I mean, I, I would say that stuff kind of came, uh, we did a thing over the summer, we did so and then we started the Brooklyn bounds, I think in the fall, and then we did the collaborative workshop in January and then this associate thing. So there was definitely a, a period of us trying to figure out like what, like there was just a lot of us saying, uh, sorry, before I get to my thing, there was a lot of us as an organ in the organization just saying, I don't know. Like, I don't know what we can and can't do yet. And so let's just put out support. And then we can like, whether it be like, I think, um, with the George Floyd thing, I think as an organization, we saw a lot of people reacting extreme in one way or extreme in another, and then at each other all day. And mm-hmm. as an organization, we were like, <clears throat> this is a very complicated thing. I think it's okay to say we're here to support. Um, when it came to online concerts or uh, actually for us, it was the lot like live streaming, mm-hmm. like, we all lived in different states. Nobody knew what the virus really was. And you saw like Third Coast was meeting in person. Sandbox was meeting in person. The four of us were coming from different states that all had different laws. And so we were like, I don't know. <laughs> like, right. I don't know if I feel comfortable driving to New York to do a live stream concert. 
And so we just didn't. And we decided to try to do as much as we could by like supporting things online and, and going that route. And I, I think we're, I think we stand behind that, that move. It was a tricky one, but, um, cause we'd all of course prefer to be in person. Um, as an organization, we just didn't have that much time to re- we just said, I don't know a lot, but we didn't say we didn't shut down. We just, we were constantly just like, we need information. Just like, give us more data, give right. us more data, give us more data. Like, we didn't know if Sosi was going to be in person and we couldn't make that call. You know, Princeton was making that call, but they were making that call super late, you know, just like everybody was. And right. so, um, but for me personally, I think I did have a lot of a moment where I was like, had to figure out the online recording situation, which I did a little bit, but was never really forced to have to get good at. Right. Um, man, the hardest thing for me was the zoom teaching. Zoom, Zoom teaching is is rough. Yeah, I think that was. I would say the uh, year round, like, or at least for for the last year and a half, I would say the thing for me that was the like never go back if I can avoid it at all costs is teaching anything on Zoom. Yeah, we, we, you were doing like a steel band, <clears throat> steel band at NYU, uh, chamber music at NYU, and then the steel band at Princeton, and then so was doing. Uh, a writing for percussion class at Princeton that was sort of hybrid. Uh, some of the guys were getting together and, and demonstrating and stuff in person, but yeah, the, the ensemble over zoom is rough. I didn't have to direct anything like that or like I didn't teach a lesson, but I did have like this, you know, 300 student class, the first like spring quarter. So early in the pandemic, all online, it was like a concert kind of like, you know, talking about music and like, I can't even remember the name of the course here. It's like the concert season or something. And it's like one of these, like you go to concerts and you write about them and that's the great, you know, it's like right, super right. chill. But then I had, to, I was like, there's no concerts to go to. So what do we do? You know? And, but then it's just like, everybody's cameras are off. I'm like talking to people and I'm like, there's no, there's nothing coming back. I was like, this is the worst. Yeah. Zoom teaching is, I think, the worst part. <laughs> yeah, in terms of me putting my foot down, that was, I mean, it was, I mean, I had to, like, there was no other option, really. I mean, I, you know, you sort of had to, <clears throat> I had to do my job, but it was the part, I think, that um, I was, of the things I did well this year and a half, I think that is the thing that was at the bottom of the pile. I think I just, like, did the best, I, I felt like I did the best I could, but it was... Not my, yeah. not my, not my high point. Um, sorry, go ahead. Were you gonna say something? Uh, no, I, I think, I think probably everybody I know feels that way. So I, I think there's some comfort in that. I think everybody was just like, I, I did what I could. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think, I, I don't think anybody, uh, nobody I know personally that has had to teach anything over Zoom the last year is like, you know what? I nailed it. <laughs> yeah. well, it just feels like you're a trauma surgeon. That's like, I, I felt like every time you leave the ER. Like, well, actually, not even that, because the ERs, ER doctors, like, know the tools they're working with. This is in, like, what's what they're, everything. It's like, I felt like you're, you're a trauma surgeon on, like, a Civil War battlefield, you know, like, <laughs> where somebody's leg's bleeding and you're like, I don't know, cut it off. Like, that's, right. like, yeah. all you had to do is pinch it shut. It probably would have been, you know, hard, but it would have been fun. Because um, we're all dealing with Zoom. It's like, I don't, I'm sharing, like, chat threads with my friends that I shouldn't be sharing and, like, you know, oh, my God, you know. 
Right. Uh, well, and listen, I, one of the reasons I reached out to you um, was because you posted something the other day that was talking, you know, um, I don't want to Im- imply that all you do post is, is doom metal on vibraphone, which I would say just <laughs> calling balls and strikes is a large percentage of what you post. But um, uh, you also post a lot about your passion for bitters and mixology. And yeah, um, but also you posted something about local arts funding. And I think that is something that I would love to to get that piece of fat in our mouths and chew on a little bit here because I think it's prescient. It's prescient for uh, all the things we've just been talking about. Like we're we're coming out now. I think it's awesome that the cicadas came out this year because it's sort of like they're like a big metaphor for about like what we're all about to do. And um, and there's a lot of money flying around. Yeah, everywhere in the government, in grants and all of these other places and where it's going, whether it be like, you know, SBA loans going to target and, you know, the wind <laughs> casino in Las Vegas rather than your local bakery. Um, if you had control over all of that funding or you had control over your local, let's say you're the new arts commissioner and where, where do you, what town do you live in? Uh, Seattle, Seattle, Washington, you get, you're now in charge of the arts, like, the ways and means of how money gets distributed in your, in Seattle. Like what, what would be your priorities before we get to like what reality is, what would be your priorities now? Um, if, if you didn't have any of those realities facing and you had a big pile of money. Um, you know, maybe it's like, uh, I mean, I think I would honestly focus on, people who just don't usually have access to those types of funding. And I think there's a lot of, I mean, there's like so many reasons why people don't have access to those kinds of things and are, and would otherwise do really great things. Um, you know, but, uh, yeah. So like looking at underrepresented peoples, whether that's, you know, for, race or sex or religion or, or, you know, whatever, or just like low SES, you know, like people who don't apply for grants because they have nothing and don't think that like that's for them, you know, or when that's you say SES. You know, what does that mean? Like, like socioeconomic status. Oh, right? got it. Okay. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, like, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, I would try to I would try to find a way to actively get that money somewhere that I'm like I I feel like often I see you know things that are like funded by you know whatever agencies are funding stuff and I'm like those are the people that needed the funding <laughs> you know like they seem to be doing okay like they needed another like you know five G's for a commission when there are like people like literally with no access to that kind of dough that I think, you know, that, that little bit of dough would have a huge impact on like a lower tier artist or somebody who doesn't typically have access to that kind of stuff versus like certain other organizations or people who are like, they're doing okay. And it's like, is that, uh, you know, it, it doesn't mean as much going to, certain people I think and so I would try to like I I think that would be my focus is like trying to get that into the hands of people who might not otherwise get it I mean everything you're saying to me 
makes total sense. Um, one of the things that uh, that I've that struck me about the way sometimes these system uh, when I say system I'm using it's a very broad term. I I don't generally don't like it when people are like tear the system down. I'm like, okay, what do you mean? Where are you going to start? Mm-hmm. You start with your local wastewater treatment plant. Okay, well you're going to start pooping in a bucket and taking it out to the street by yourself. That's a system too. Your taxes go there too. Well, no, no, no. We're going to keep that. Okay, what else are we going to keep? Pretty soon you got basically all of society except for like your neighbor who you loathe. You know, like and it's like, oh, you just hated your neighbor. I understand what you you know. Um, so I, I I'm using that term loosely here, but the when the SBA loan thing happened and like the PPP, all of that stuff, and the government's like, here's you know, here's here's a trillion dollars. Good luck, you know, and. I was immediately aware of how much Eric Chabich meant to the organization and how little power I had that if I was a small business owner by myself, I definitely wouldn't have gotten any of that stuff. Because when I opened those things, bro, those applications were confusing. They were supposed to be, they were launched at midnight on a day and the banks didn't even get the legislation from the government until 9 p.m. So in three hours, Bank of America had, boom, the clock's ticking three hours. They've got to get these applications out to the country. And who is waiting at midnight? Eric Chabich. Why? Because he's been writing grants for 15 years and is a nerd and <laughs> loves going clickety-clack, clickety-clack and like just like filling out forms. And when that, then when I saw, like, you know, a month later, you saw all of the things that happened, I was like, of course that happened. Like, there's not necessarily, like, I think when we talk about folks who, you know, don't have anything, it's not that there's, like, a self-esteem, like, oh, I'll never have that. It's like, you you make one click. I've been swimming in the system of grant money with soap percussion for 15 years because of Eric. And I'm terrified when I open that link. Right. Imagine yeah. somebody who's never applied for a grant ever. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, yeah. Eric's, it's, 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 so you know. Anyway, just to say, like, it. Of course, that happened. You know why Target and you know IHOP got the SBA loans because they have somebody who's not afraid to open those links and can just fill them out. Right. Like, and so my question then to you is knowing that. And you have a hundred million dollars as the the guy who's in charge of running Seattle Arts. What is your do you? Well, let me ask you this: Do you have an account? Because one of the things about why that paperwork's crazy, and yes, the SBA loan thing was crazy, but you know, applying to the NEA, applying to your local, like the Seattle Arts Council, it's going to have a huge amount of paperwork. Why? Because there's an accountability thing that has to happen. You have right. to then you have to. There's all this reporting. You have to send in budgets like. So to me, what I see there in terms of gatekeeping isn't necessarily like an active, like somebody's there like, okay, that's a black person, keep them out. Let's let the white person in. It's just like, just to even get in the door, you have to understand this language. And so what, so do we educate everybody on that language so that when everybody's in the pool, we're all competing on the same level? Or do we change the language? Or do we do both? You know, is it a yes and sort of search? Yeah, I think, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I, and it's like, I, I also get those things, right? The, these like account of like 
people have to be held accountable for the money they're spending and stuff like that. But, but I, I think, I think, uh, personally, I would like to see it, you know, the, the cumbersome nature of applying for this type of funding be made simpler. I think there's a way to make it more simple. Um, and, and less like, you know, yeah, just, I, I, there's gotta be a way we're smart enough, you know, like we're, we're, we've done so much (laughs) as humans, there's a way to make this easier and, and also not lose any of this kind of other accountability thing. And I, I think, you know, like, um, but I, I I don't know what that is. I just hit drums, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I but I think like that's that. I mean, I that's. I'm saying something to you that I say out loud to myself too. Like, I say that too as a way of abdicating my responsibility. The moment I hit the thing, I don't know how to answer. <laughs> like, well, I don't know. I just hit drums. I'm just like, I'm gonna yeah, don't talk to me. And like, you know, I don't know what phantom power is. I just play drums until I then had to understand a mic needs phantom power, bro. You know, like, and I think with this grant stuff, I personally within so percussion, I abdicate my personal, uh, desire to learn more about grants because I don't have to, cause Eric does it. And I would say maybe he doesn't have to learn about cash flow budgeting because I deal with all that and I learn, you know. But I think if I wasn't with Eric, I would be like, okay, I gotta learn how to write these. I got, I gotta learn how to do this. But, but I think something you said earlier. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Um, well, I just had this thought, and I, I think it's it's like uh, I, I think maybe maybe the way that I see a solution be a solution to this issue is like maybe not even the language has to change. But like, what if the people that held the, those funds, whatever that is, if it's a presenting organization, it's your like <clears throat> local government arts director, like whoever that per, whoever it is that holds funds, was more proactive in figuring out what to do with it mm. and reaching out to people versus waiting for the people who understand the game to come to them and ask for it. You know, so like, mm. like if you're a curator or a arts person whose job it is to use this money, to like maybe, maybe being, being more active in like seeking out those things. Well, and, think- and that's like the responsibility that the, the, those people can take on or, or like having somebody there specifically to like, walk somebody through the process who might not know, you know, where, where, like, I think, you know, my experience with having to go into like some type of office or something and talk to somebody is like condescension from the people that are like, what, you don't know how to do this. The form is online. What, you know, there's like, they don't have the time to like talk to you about the thing, you know? So like, um, you know, maybe there's something there, like having somebody, uh, compassionate <laughs> who, who's who's compassionate for people who might not understand the process to like help them with it yeah, yeah. well i mean those are the there is a bit of a more uh, there is more of a disconnect i think in the people between the you know like it is in in comparison say to like presenters and musicians um you know the presenter at carnegie hall to the presenter at the stone in new york like two different completely different venues they all have personal relationships with the artists that come into their spaces. Maybe not, maybe not with the people who rent the spaces like at Carnegie Hall is a rental space too. But even then, like, 
you're not just going to let some total random person rent your space. Like, you look into who's coming because people don't know that they've rented the space. Everyone assumes Carnegie Hall is presenting the Iowa State community John Philip Sousa band. You know, like that, that's what everybody assumes, right? And so there's, you have to vet those of who you're coming into your hall. The Stone does the same thing. They have a curator, and that curator picks people to come in. But you have to have relationships. And I think between grant organizations and musicians, that's like one more step removed just by default. And I think, but I would say there is a misconception, though, that, the, that those folks in grant organizations don't have a presenter mindset. They do. Um, and in Eric's experience, the first thing he always says when he's on these calls about, you know, advice around grants and applying for them is like, there's a human being, usually grant organizations, even the biggest one, the NEA, there's like eight people (laughs) that work in that, in the office that you would call for the grant you're applying for. And that, and usually those eight people are humongous nerds because they've been loving art their whole life. And yeah, maybe there's a bureaucrat in there, but like the person you're going to email on your application is an Aaron Butler, you know, is a Caroline Shaw, is somebody else who's sitting in that office who's really passionate about it. And nine times out of 10, they'll email you right back and they'll give you advice on something you have a question about. It's just, they don't advertise that. Maybe they should. But I think I think I'm always telling my friends, like in the pan community, I'm just like, do not be afraid to knock on doors. Like, you know, like you're gonna you're gonna get turned away a bunch, but right, people will help. You just got to reach out. But yeah, um, you know, something you said earlier about the uh, about small grants, and this is something for me. I'm working with a group called Pan in Motion uh, in Brooklyn. That's a group that Kendall Williams started. Um, there's it's five of us. Um, and it's like an advocacy organization around Pan in, in the New York area. And um, the so my foot's in soap percussion, but also, you know, on Monday nights, I'm, I'm working with, with Pan in Motion. The impact of a $2,000 grant to soap percussion, it is a drop in a bucket that is, that is useful. And, and we use it for scholarships, for SOCI and all these other things. But the ripples it makes in so a $2,500 grant versus what a $2,500 grant would do for Pan in Motion, not in terms of like long-term sustainability, but I think a lot of organizations like Pan in Motion, like Aaron Butler Incorporated, like small uh, presenting organizations, even like The Stone, which is like, you know, I keep using them in this example, but it's like it's a small brick room run by John Zorn that it's like the air conditioner never works. Um, and their sound system isn't all that great. The piano's never really been tuned all that much. Like, and so it's not like he has a ton of money just to blow on this space, right? And so twenty five hundred dollars there would is a game changer, right? Right. What I mean, I I wish that I feel like grants are just sometimes too big, and that gives the perception that it's like, well, that's just a crazy number. Ten thousand dollars to pay a motion is just a nutso number. <laughs> to so percussion, that's a commission. But to pan emotion, that's a like we can survive for a year, <laughs> right. you yeah. know. Right. And so, how do we change the the mindset of like grant organizations to understand that that impact actually might then set them up these organizations to be armed to then apply for the ten to fifteen thousand dollar grants later on down the line? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's um, I, again like I don't know. I don't know the the inner workings, you know. So I'm like, like I just 
like, uh, hmm. Yeah, how do we do that? How do we change? <laughs> well, I mean, this is the—I mean, this is the other thing too that um, I keep I keep talking about this book because it's so good. Uh, it's called "Bury the Chains." It's by Adam Hochschild, and it's about the end of the British slave trade in like the mid or early 1830s, um, leading to the abolishment of of the slave trade in 1838 in in England, and um, it's basically the story of like 12 people in England that sort of were advocates of all stripes. Like there was a former slave working with a former slave ship owner, John Newton, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace or took the, the hymn tune Amazing Grace and put words to it um, and was a slave ship owner for 40 years. Like was he was Jeff Bezos of, you know, in terms of like being successful at a thing. And I, I want to take, that was a, maybe a bad comparison, but in terms of like somebody who was like at the top of his field, like John Newton, but he had a come to Jesus moment later in his life and was like, I, what have I done? Mm. And teamed up with these 11 other people, former slave. And like, anyway, it really imparted me this idea that like, and their job was to change the mindset of society. Mm-hmm. And they they were very calculating about it, and how and they decided that they 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 couldn't change the mindset enough to get people convinced that slavery was bad. What they wanted to do was convince people that the British slave trade was bad. The act of putting people on a ship, taking them elsewhere, like they needed to end that because that act was. You know, having somebody serve you tea wasn't the end of the world, and you're not going to convince some local, you know, uh, elite in in England to give up their their tea servant. But if you can show them the horrors of a slave trade, and so it was a really calculated thing, and they really, it really hit home this idea that history is made in terms of days, not years. Like the slave trade ended fifty six, uh, slavery in America ended fifty six thousand days ago, not one hundred fifty six years ago. Like that feels way different, you know? Mm. And so when we talk about, sorry, that was a tangential comparison to slavery in a really great book. But (laughs) I think when we think about like these mindsets of like, how do we change, how do we change your green art? Well, well, Aaron, you go work for one and then you have a meeting with them. And when they're, when they're in a meeting and they're just like, okay, we've got a hundred million dollars here. What do we do with it? Then you go. (laughs) And then what happens is they go, Aaron, you're a dum-dum, go get me a coffee. And then you go, hmm, how do I make that argument differently next time? So that next year, and then five years into working for a grant organization, you have managed to peel off $60,000 for people you care about. You know, And like the, I think then the investment you have to ask is like, well, is that the route I want to go? Am I willing to spend five years of my life getting nothing <laughs> so that maybe I can do that or do I want to start my own grant organization and do it the way I want to do it from the ground up? Do you have a rich friend who can give you $50,000 that you give away five of every year? Right. You know, you got to have some money to make more money later to keep giving away. That's how endowments work. Endowments have like that pay 250 grand to some endowment. There's $8 million sitting in a bank account somewhere that's not right. getting touched. And so yeah. I don't know, like of all those options for you, like what is the, what is the, what's the least and most appealing option? <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I would, uh, I would love to have a rich friend that would just give me money to uh, start my own. If you know any rich friends, keep who making are, friends because you never know which one is rich. 
That's my advice. Just walk into stores and be like, you want to be my friend? You want to be my friend? I'm cool. <laughs> Trust me, man. you got enough mixology experience. You can get enough people drunk enough to be your friend. You know, before, before you know it, there are, you got a bunch of drunk, rich friends. <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what I need to work on. Yeah. Do some private event yeah, bartending for, for some rich people. <laughs> Yeah, I you know I I I think I just don't think I have the 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 uh, personality to be in the room doing that stuff. Like I think I'm more I'm like feet on the ground, like out in the stuff, like well trying to be an advocate, you know. But but you know, and I would I would love to like I I would at some point in my life I would love that that it, it would be great to have control of like where some dough comes goes you know and and uh and i would love to just like do it like five minute pitch style like you come in and pitch your idea of how you're going to use this shark tank to me and 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 then if and then it's like somebody else will handle the paperwork there will be somebody else to like do all the stuff that makes it look good oh okay good i just want i'm glad i'm glad we cleared up that there still will be a mountain of paperwork you're just not going to do it Ah, I right. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm just assuming we're still operating within this system. Oh, right okay, all right. Uh, you know, like I mean, I would I would much rather. Hey, not have man, listen. Hey, like, one second. There's a delivery at the house. Let me go run. Oh, yeah. Let me let me go run and get it real quick. I'll be right back. Yeah, I th- I think I think my I would I would love some money to give to people, and I would. What's that kind of? You know, it was like a super cheesy movie. Was it like Jim Carrey is like a loan officer and then he just starts approving every single loan? Like somebody's just like, I need some money to do this. And he's like, well, yeah, yeah, take it. I would just I think I would be that guy. I'd be like, yeah, you need very good. You won't be one for very long then, Aaron. That's that's generally not a good way to give out money. Um, Even the nicest people I have had the fortune to be around a lot of uh, wealthy people just in my my time with so and coming across different donor events and meeting different funders for things and people who run organizations and blah, blah, blah. And most people are very nice. And, but even the one who, even the nicest, most generous people are like, what are you going to do with this? (laughs) You know, they want to be sure that it's not even a like vetting stuff. It's just to like, people want to make sure that their money is being spent. Well, you do, you know, you don't donate to things that, you think are just going to throw your money down the toilet, do you? <laughs> no. Yeah. So like, why would a billionaire, like why would, why would right. a millionaire, why would somebody that way? So, but I, I want to just like, I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't want you to feel like I'm pushing on you here, but like, no, no, okay. um, you started it with your Facebook post, so I want to blame it on yeah. you. Um, the, <laughs> the, I think people underestimate how much power they have. And I think you are underestimating how much, I think you're underestimating two things. When you say where I'm, when you say I'm a guy that where my feet's on the ground, that room where the grants get disseminated, you know, Eric's been in that room, Adam has been in that room, and they make the decisions. They decide with like 16 other people. Theo Blackman is on is on panels. Like Aaron Butler, all you have to do is get in that world enough, and you are a person who is giving money out to people and you don't have to change your hat. You don't have to shave your beard. You don't have to stop <laughs> making dooms, doom metal on, uh, on vibraphones. But I, I just want to caution a friendly caution you that don't wait for 
the room to appear to you where the money will be, where you can disseminate it. Kick that door yeah. down. Make fr- well, First of all, make friends with everybody in that room first and then, <laughs> then politely open the door. Right. And then quietly get in there and just before you know it, your friends have money. And, yeah. um, you know, anyway, take that for what yeah. it's worth. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I agree. But I, th- I think I also come from, you know, a background that it's like, a lot of the stuff seemed like I under I somehow managed to make it where I am, which is not very far. Uh, but having come from like a family with basically nothing, you know, and and like most people don't get to like the degrees that I have, or even being having the option to yeah. study music from like the world that I grew up in. So I understand. So like, I still hang on to that stuff for sure of like, that world's not for me. Um, so I, you know, that's like, so I think a lot of my looking at that is like understanding people who don't even have what I have mm-hmm. being like, well, of course they're not going to even try, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think I should also, you know, like, uh, you know, the, this, this post that I made talking about that, I think, I think, you know, I was also in my head, thinking more about like the next kind of level down when I was making this, I, I you know, like this idea um, that's been bouncing around, you know, is, is like not necessarily like the NEA, but like the people who get like the presenting orgs within communities and cities that, that get that NEA money and mm-hmm. then bring in artists and, and, you know, they are choosing to curate a certain thing. Um, and I, so I think that that post was generated by this that thought and like mm. seeing like you know this this thing of like well there's tons of local musicians and artists in any community that could you know be tapped to perform on a series or something mm-hmm. but it's like a lot of times it's it's like you know. <laughs> it's bigger tier artists or mm-hmm. people who, you know, and so, the, so the idea kind of came from that thing of like, uh, and, and I'm thinking specifically about some very specific orgs that I'm not going to like put on blast or anything, but you know, this idea of like, like in the world that we live in now facing like the kind of economic and, and like environmental crises that are like on the horizon, mm-hmm. like why do we keep flying people around the world to do like little one-off shows or something versus like, well, we should still have local art and like that art can be truly local if local artists are used and, and given the opportunity to be a part of these bigger presentations, you know what I mean? Like, and, and I, and I, and I, and I don't, say that to be like we shouldn't be flying so percussion across the country to perform that's or something certainly like that. how it sounded to me Aaron Butler I wasn't going to say anything but yeah. when you talk about flying somewhere for the one-off gig that is so percussion in a nutshell you know I mean I get it and but I you know and I think I made the comparison of like you know like there's always going to be like a desire for Wagyu, I think, is something you said. Yeah, like, yeah, like, there's always going to be, like, yeah, somebody wants, like, a Wagyu steak that's, like... I like to think my fat you know, is whatever proportion through my body. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but, but, like, do we need it all the time or something, you know? Like, like, um, and, and, like, yeah, I, I, there's, 
it, and it's yeah. I don't. I don't know. I'm like I'm trying not to uh, put this specific situation. Like I don't want to put anything on blast, so I'm trying not to use very specific examples that I have uh, in my head about what this kind of thing is. But um, but yeah, I, I think you know, like like if you have. A con- if you have a, a concert series and and somebody's performing and it's like you need a violinist to play on this thing, like do you have to bring in a violinist from Berlin just because like you know they maybe have a name or mm-hmm. like when when there's plenty of like local people who can like play that gig or something you know and and like be and be tied into and it then it like truly becomes a communal thing and i, I think i it's that community buzzword of like like when people like like when presenting orgs like to use like oh we're building community and and you are with like the people who want to see that presentation who are like the 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 crowds or like you know the people who come to the show but like the community is also the people who play the stuff and like mm-hmm. Like if you're to me, it's like if you're really talking about like your local community, then why not use local artists? You know, and um, I mean, what would you? And so I was I was thinking a lot more about that end of the thing than when I made that post than like it, like top of the stack like well, know, organizations. To me, I feel like it's it's okay to think of. I mean, well, let me ask you this: what would what would be a good percentage breakdown for you and again like i just want to keep and again like your mind could change tomorrow and you could get more in one direction or more in another but like we're also making some assumptions here that this is we're, or we have to say say that this is happening within the vacuum of a capitalist market where so that so percussion also exists and we do get grant funding and donorship but if we took out the concert part where we're actually physically going and like you know, making a product that people see, like, and if we didn't have people come to the shows, eventually that's not sustainable. Like we, we, you know, their butts and seats are the part of the market economy here that, that a fully funded government arts program doesn't necessarily need to worry about. If we put as much money in the arts in America as we do in to Tomahawk missiles, right. so percussion would worry less about butts and seats, but then uh, you know, there's just different worries. Like, I don't know what happens then. Like if we just don't ever care who comes to our shows and we're playing fully funded stuff, I would hope that there's a different type of investment in community organizing and building that gets people butts and seats, you know? Um, but in this particular instance, like what would be in a concert hall in your, in Seattle, like what would be a breakdown that you feel could survive the market economy that we're all in where like my mom, whether I like it or not, when Evelyn Glennie comes to town, she knows who Evelyn Glennie is. Mm. And if Evelyn Glennie's playing a concert at the Kent State Tusk Performing Arts Center that seats, you know, 4,000 people and is going to sell it out because she's Evelyn Glennie, so percussion's not going to sell that out. And my mom will definitely be there when I'm there. And she's going to bring two of her friends, but there's going to be 325 people in that hall. So that performing arts venue has to make a call here. What are what are we gonna do? Like so for you, what's a good what's a good breakdown of of local versus international? Uh, or not even international, but just like interstate <laughs> like or intrastate. Right. Um 
you know, I mean, I, if I was just going to pick a number, I would say like minimum, I think I would, would be like 60, 40 mm-hmm. leaning towards low. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's a reason that it shouldn't lean more local or more community driven than not, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, and I get it. Like, I also get the thing of, you know, like you got to have somebody who's going to like, put butts in seats so that that organization can recoup costs or keep surviving. Um, but, but part of me like thinks like, you know, when, when I see uh, presenters, like, you know, if, if somebody puts on like a lower tier artist and it's like, Oh, we're like featuring this local uh, person or organization, or like we're putting up this person's visual art, whatever it might be like the promotion is different behind that. And maybe it's because they're not recruit, they're not getting as much money coming in. So they're like, we're, we can't spend that much money promoting this thing, mm-hmm. but it's like, but in my, in, you know, this is all like overly simplified, but um, like, why, why not put the kind of hype? If you have this kind of presenting power and this kind of clout that people trust you as an organization to present stuff, like you should throw that weight around to present to hype up the people that they might not know or pay attention to just because they don't already have the clout right and i mean this is a it's a tale as old as time like with like underground rock scene right it's like nobody cares about the bands until you hit a certain level and then everybody's like i love that band you know they're from my hometown but they never went to see them when they played the basement of a bowling alley or something you know the meat puppets the meat nobody cared about the meat puppets until they were on unplugged with nirvana i mean like well let me say the casual no casual music fan cared about meat puppets there were hardcores in seattle that were like yeah of course i know who the meat puppets are you know (laughs) right Right. No, it, but, but, you know, like, what if, what if those organizations use their, their, like, name to, like, truly try to bring that type of attention to, other than just, like, being like, oh, well, we did our local feature, you know, but they, like, really took the people who pay attention to that organization, and they were like, you should be paying attention to these people, the same way that you would pay attention to whoever, you know? Well, this is, Um, can I ask, this is, I want to sort of ask this next question in, in ask it in a way that maybe you and I can agree to wall off the next five minutes as like a, like a, I I don't want to say a safe space, but just to like, I hope my intent is clear here. The other factor that we're not really calculating here is taste. And every human being who's in charge of something likes something more than another in the same way that they like deep dish pizza over pizza from new haven it's not rational all the time the number of times i've seen or are uh, artists that i think are objectively not serious haven't thought about what they do and and pass that aren't good i mean uh, hundreds of times places i've been and i'm just like how in god's name people i've played with who i've then realized like oh my god you're not a serious person. Oh Lord. Like, how did you get all these gigs? Like, and so this is Aaron Butler's now got to make some choices about local artists. And you've got two local artists who can do this, this show, the series of yours. And you've got a third who really wants to do it. And is a good friend of those other two, but their art is awful, bro. Mm. And they're a local artist or you think their art is awful. 
Let's, let's actually just, let's actively put that ingredient in here. Aaron Butler secretly is like, I want to be supportive, but holy shit, their stuff is so bad. <laughs> like, like it's okay to think that something is bad. That doesn't mean they're a bad person. And that's what right. I want to draw these clear distinctions here. I have lots of friends who I, I don't understand all the time where they're coming from with their art. Um, and I can say out loud to them, you know, I don't think I like that piece. I've said that to Jenk Ergun sometimes, like right to his face, bro. <laughs> I love you so much that I will play this piece any day. I will leave my wife and go on tour for months and play this piece because I love you. I do not like this piece. <laughs> and, and like, you know, anyway, so that, but that's part of the equation for me with Jank. Like his music is serious and I take it seriously because he does. I don't like it. That's mm-hmm. a different thing. And I don't like all of Zanakis' music. Are you kidding me? I don't like right. listening to Mateau. Go, go 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 screw yourself if you're gonna put me in a room by myself and listen to my toe. But will I play it? Absolutely, because it's serious and I and I take it seriously. So like, how do you chew on that truth about yourself, a person who clearly likes some things more than others? Yeah, I mean, I I think um, you know it, when I have had like you know whatever little series I might run or have some type of curatorial power. Um, I think I've, I think, you know, I like to, maybe I'm, well, uh, I think I've, I've definitely booked people that I'm not personally a fan of their art mm-hmm. because I think that, um, because I think that other people enjoy it. And I'm mm-hmm. trying to like, think of like outside of myself, like, mm-hmm. like I'm not the only one in the room. So like, is there a, a good reason to, give have this person mm-hmm. present in whatever way or what medium uh because somebody else is going to enjoy it mm-hmm. you know and I, and I think that kind of uh you know and and if if a presenter is not able to and I, i'm not you know i'm not perfect clearly uh i think my solution would be to have many like as diverse a set of people like informing that because like the, the more you know and i think this is the conversation that's coming up a lot more, especially in the last year, is like how, what, who, who are the people deciding, and how diverse are their interests and experiences? Um, and I think that's also a key to that is like because we all have blind spots, and and so, um, so so yeah, like I I personally have no problem, I think, having like something where I'm like I'm not totally into that, but I'll mm. show it. I'm not going to play it though. I'm, I'm different than you in that way. I'm like <laughs> my friends that I'm like, I'm not going to play that piece. I really love you, but I'm not going <laughs> to. Well, this is, yeah, I mean, this is like, uh, I I'm in a different situation where I'm a little more handcuffed than you. I can't just, because then I, then I'm like, well, I guess I'll sub this gig out and pay somebody else $1,500 to learn this piece. And I can't afford that. So I'm going to have to go ahead and learn this piece. Um, but anyway, I mean, it's a, listen, it's a first world problem I'm having over here yeah, just to be yeah. clear. Um, no, but but I I, th- I would I like I would like to think that I would have have the ability to to kind of like remove my own tastes from the situation and and try to be as objective as I possibly can. Is like just because I don't enjoy this, does that mean it's not mm-hmm. worth presenting? Like I think those things are usually not you know mutually exclusive. No, I totally agree, and it's part of why I asked the question was sort of just to point out what I think is an obvious thing that like. And I tried to express it with my jank analogy, but um, that like for me, 
and the th- just the data points I've acknowledged or I've noticed over my last fifteen years was so um, is that relationships trump everything mm-hmm. always, always, like right. uh, w- with the exception of like like violent crime and like true aggression towards someone and like really being a, a jackass like that's where relationships sort of break down for me. And I'm like, okay, you're just being a jackass and I don't need this relationship anymore. But the, the relationships I constantly am leaning on and the people and the, the organizations that so goes to and the organizations I know that we've worked with, like, and I can imagine for a presenting organization, it's like, yes, have a diverse body of people, but also work long and hard at developing long relationships with every artist you work with. Like those are the people that, you're going to bring back 10 times over your lifetime to do a variety of projects. And that artist, even if that artist is a white man who you just have known your whole life, that person is going to bring in 15 other people every time they do a project into your organization. Mm-hmm. And if you know their values are in a spot and you have a long relationship with them, like anyway, it's just, I think one of the things right now that I, I, I hope people are thinking about is building relationships with, with your artists, yep. no matter who you're working with, because that's really at the end of the day, because the money's going to be gone someday. What are you left right. with? For sure. Yeah. I, I think that the, to, you know, to like take that in, in a, in a, in a, in a, you know, maybe this is just like from where I'm sitting, I see these things and I, you know, like that are like at what, you know, to go back to the kind of percentage of like what percentage mm. should be local. It's like, how often does the same person need to be brought back? You know, like, I, like, cause there are examples where it gets to me, it's just like, really them again, like you're doing that again. Like, why not? Well, like, you know, like how, how often does, how often does a presenting organization need to present the same big names where like maybe that goes to somebody else one well, year. Let me ask, fine, let me ask you a question know? about that specifically. Um, Cause one of the things like we have gone back to Carnegie hall now, I think this is going to in, in January or in December is going to be our sixth or seventh time. Their restrictions on us have always been brand spanking new. Every time you do not get to come in here and just play drumming or Dan Truman's piece. You don't get to just come in with Caroline Shaw, even though that's really fun. Like you don't get to do that every time. Gotta be brand new. Like, are you, when you're talking about these artists, are you saying like they, they brought in the Fab Four cover band to, to be the like big seller every year and they come in and do She Loves You, yeah, yeah, yeah? Or is it <laughs> like, is it an organization that comes in every year and does Pleiades and that's all they do every time they come in? Or like, what, what in specific are you talking, talking about locally? I, you know, I think, I think it's like, uh, for me, sometimes it's like even, even if, it's a whole new show like, Oh, we learned a new piece and now we're showing that. And that's an excuse to come back again. And again, I like, I'm not, I'm not saying that shouldn't happen. And I think those long relationships are like good. And I, I don't disagree. It's just like, sometimes it, it can seem a little like, well, okay. Of course, like you look at like, you know, you look at like whoever's, calendar for next season and then you look at somebody else's calendar and then you look at somebody else's calendar and it's just like these are all the same you know like and it feels a little like um it feels a little like people like i wonder like how much of this is like a true belief in what you're presenting versus like well so and so did it so we have to do it too 
and and we so we have to bring those people in because we have to be on par with okay. whatever other thing and then it becomes this kind of like mcdonaldization right where it's like like you know like mm. i don't want to go to every city and see the same things okay like, all right i want to so- have the same meal everywhere like i would much rather like a, a series in you know alabama be an Alabama series that feel like that somehow represents mm, that place. Yeah, you know? your that your argument makes more sense to me now. I think hearing, yeah, and I say that because early on, so was like the only restaurant we would eat at on tour because we could afford it, and we knew exactly where our table was going to be was Chili's. Like, <laughs> like you could go to any Chili's in the world. You could be in Latvia or you could be in you know yeah. Des Moines, Iowa, and you know where your seat's going to be. And you get your bottomless chips and your diet cokes, and it's. Um, (laughs) But um, but I think like I think you bring up a good point. I and it's something I think I'm ignorant of. I because I don't work in a. I mean, so technically now as a presenting organization, but Brooklyn Bound doesn't really count because we're not. You know, we're like the local. We're we're a food truck. We're not a McDonald's. We're not even a McDonald's. We're a food truck. You know, like and and uh, but I don't know how much of that of like what if I'm running a series in a town that's off the beaten path, like what, what do I want people to perceive me? Do I want to be seen as a local heavy? Do I want to be seen as somebody when, then when I go to APAP, people know who I am. Do I want, I don't know how much of that happens. I'm sure it happens a lot more than I see. Um, but also I, the one the just the presenters that I've worked with, we have, we, very few presenters that we go work with, we don't have a personal relationship with or don't, when we first meet them, work really hard to develop a long relationship with them. Even if it's like a small series that we've been at for the first time, like, because we want to go back because the more we go back, the more freedom we have to do things like Soci. And so like for us, it's like, that is a complicating factor here. But your argument I think stands in terms of like a mindset. I liked what you said about like, really being an Alabama performing arts organization or really being like, what's a Washington state. Right. What does that look like? What is Washington state's artistic culture? How does it differ from Texas? And I'm not right. casting like value judgments here. I'm just saying like Texas music culture is awesome. South by Southwest yeah. is one of the most revered festivals in the world, but it's not Seattle. Right. And that's okay. Like, so how do you, how do you then do that? While also, if you want to be recognized on a national level where you do have, where artists like So Percussion who are not from Alabama, I want to come play that Alabama festival because that shit is the shit. <laughs> like that's yeah, right. like Eau Claire, the Eau Claire Festival actually in Wisconsin. I think Justin Vernon, that's like the thing that popped to mind for me of like really trying to curate a lot of friends, but a really a real sense of like, these are, this is a Wisconsin festival. Like this doesn't get any more Eau Claire than this, you know? And, but how do you do, how do you sort of scale that up? Right. Yeah. And yeah. And I think there's a place for that Alabama festival to, or series to have so percussion, right? It's just like, again, I think it's like this thing of like, maybe we don't need it all the time. Like we don't need, uh, you know, we don't need to eat. So percussion is Wagyu, man. We can't have that every day. (laughs) <laughs> I want to. I want I want. I would love for us to be compared to an animal that's not like curated by humans for our consumption. Like, no. Uh, what's this? What's that? That terrible duck liver stuff. Uh, not. What is that stuff that where they just feed a duck and then, and then people? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. not that stuff. Um, 
and not so wagyu. Percussion is a rare truffle. Okay, yeah, we were harvested we were, from the. <laughs> we were nosed out of the ground by a Jack Russell Terrier, and like I'm fine with that. Don't need. <laughs> you and you we better don't need use that every day. Very small quantities. Very <laughs> small quantities. You ever watch Sh- uh, Chopped? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Oh, yeah the Food yeah, Network. Yeah. I love it. Like you could always tell the inexperienced chef. Like at the end, their dishes are done, and they're just like, "Ding, let's get truffle oil." And all the judges are like, "No, don't do it." They're just like, "Boop, boop, 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 boop." It's like, "Let's grab the most expensive." Okay. Anyway, Aaron, um, I don't think I have any more. I have more questions now than I had when we came in, which is great. That's what I, I love conversations like that, and I appreciate you drilling down with me on this because I think. What, no matter how serious you felt about your post, I think it's something that I, I, I took it seriously because I think about that stuff a lot. I mean, we are, and I'm trying to have these ethical discussions of like, what do we, how do you, <laughs> why do you, why are we, you know, now we're talking about like vaccine passports. Yeah. That's going to exclude some people and it's mm-hmm. going to exclude some people of color, of lower classes that don't have access to other things or are do we want to do that in the arts? Are we cool with that? I think a lot of people are very quick to say yes because of health reasons. But like, I think for me, I'm, I'm really trying so hard right now to just keep both thoughts of like, yep, 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 access or uh, health, health. I mean, I do not want to die of coronavirus at all. I've had friends passed away with it. It's been an awful year and a half. But I think I'm, I would rather still wear a mask than keep my friends out of the room. If you know, and like that's a, but that's an artistic. That's like that's a that's a conversation that right now it's clashing on Zoom. I think with every small organization that has employees who work in the arts, who have friends and colleagues from all sorts of backgrounds. You know, that's a real thing happening right now, and I'm very curious to see how it plays out because, like we said at the beginning, nobody alive has ever dealt with this, right. and the best of us, with our best intentions, are making things up every day, and. <laughs> You know, it's terrifying, bro. Like, Sosie was terrifying, but, like, at least we didn't have a pandemic blowing through it, you know? Like, right. um, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, uh, like we're, if, if everybody's a little less knee-jerk reactionary to these issues and we, and we, like, live in the uncomfortable kind of middle ground of, like, considering things, uh, you know, the ramifications of it. Because, yeah, it's easy to be, like, well, of course, if you don't have a vac- vaccine, you can't do this or that. But yeah, there, there, there are, yeah, in in all parts of life, there are reasons to consider that other side, even for just a moment. Usually, maybe not all. <laughs> there are well, some I things think, that don't deserve consideration for yeah, sure. Yeah, right? but I mean, <laughs> again, like uh, I think it has been telling to me to see the vaccine discussion happen. And it very quickly, everybody's like, oh, this is a political issue. It's like, mm-hmm. the news is making it one and the New York Times is making it one because that's what gets people clicking. But in my experience on a day-to-day basis, I have people who are not vaccinated very close to me, who I love dearly and would take a bullet for, and politics has nothing to do with it. Yeah. And uh, nobody can, you don't have to believe me, but like... That's the truth. And I think the more we just spent a whole year talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and access. Inclusion and access being the like, and equity, all of it being like, we need to have everybody in the room so we compete equally and nobody's left out. 
but Carnegie Hall had no problem being like, we are a vaccine organization. Right. Like, and so now I've got, I know people who are now having to write Carnegie Hall to be like, can I come in with a religious exemption? Now, maybe the answer is going to be yes, but that's exclusion. It right. is now. I don't necessarily disagree with the justification because public health, I also feel is incredibly important, but like, I just wish we could say out loud, like we are excluding on this thing because this is way more important to us. And if that means some people are going to fall by the wayside, we are making that call because we feel that's important. Then I would be like, all right, right. at least you said it. Right. <laughs> Transparent. I think, yeah, transparency is, is also, you know, like honesty. And, and uh, I think if it, yeah, transparency from, in whatever avenue of life, I'm, I'm uh, pro transparency. Like, if if you feel a thing, or if there's a reason why you're doing this thing, like, just say it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, and as I said that, like, I'm immediately like, uh, but again, I know people who are immunocompromised and or are pregnant who can't get the vaccine. You, you, they're not vaccinating pregnant people. So is Carnegie Hall just not letting pregnant people come see their shows? Is that a thing they're going to say out loud? I bet not. I'll bet there's an exemption that they can figure out, but like right now there's a lot of like, you got to show your vaccine card again. I understand it, but I just, I wish we as humans would acknowledge the other, like we're constantly taking the sandbag and switching it for the idol in, in like temple, the, you know, lot temple of doom or whatever. We're constantly doing that and pretending like we aren't. And it's like, Anyway, I, it's it's yeah. an interesting time in humanity, and I may change my mind tomorrow about all of this. But you know, <laughs> that's what we're that's here. All for. right. Um, yeah. Well. Yeah. Thanks for uh, chatting with me about that. It was like, yeah, like I don't. I would. That wasn't a throwaway post. It's a serious thing that I'm I'm thinking about, and I think about a lot. And I'm glad that you thought enough of it to like chat. Well, I, <laughs> to try to suss it out because I need I need that too. I need to like suss it further. I think one of the things I react to most in people I care about, yourself included, or like colleagues, friends, for, you know, former students, whatever, the reason I will, if you hear from me about something like that, it's usually after I've thought about it for a long time. It's usually because I, I am worried that you're, that you think you don't have as much power as you think you do. And like, I want to, and I just, cause I just want to be like, bro, I can't write those grants for you. I'm, I've got a bunch of other shit I'm dealing with here, <laughs> right. but I just want to get on the horn and be like, Aaron, <laughs> bro, you know, people who write grants and you know, people who do this, you just maybe you have to, you have to work a little bit harder. And I think you could be handing out money way quicker than you think you can, than you yeah. think you do right now. And that's really, that's really the takeaway. I think I, I want you to have from this conversation is like, bro, well, you, I'll work on that. I'll work on being the guy that hands out money and I'll keep thinking <laughs> about this. And I know, I know you will too. I'd love to, you know, check back in, even if it's like in an email or something like further thoughts on this. Like, I, I think it's like, it's a, it's a topic within our immediate like worlds that I think is worth exploring totally. uh, on a broader sense. Yeah, totally. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate you chewing the fat with me on this. And again, like I'm not holding yourself or me to anything I said today. It was mainly, I love just sort of being in a like, thought space and sort of chewing through this, the, through the scenarios here. And, and, um, and I, and you can hold me to it in five years. Oh, you could, we can always chat anytime, but if in five <laughs> years you've done the thing I've asked you to do and you became a heroin addict and lost all your family and your friends and it's my <laughs> fault, you can come back and hold me responsible. And you gave, you actually lost money. You didn't give any away. Like, 
Um, <laughs> I will accept full responsibility for everything. All right, um, <laughs> all right bro. Listen, uh, stay healthy, and I'm sure my brother, if he were here, would give you some sort of shit. So I will. You can just imagine what he'd say. Yeah, and, I wouldn't um, expect anything less from Zach. <laughs> uh, stay healthy, and I look forward to seeing you, uh, chatting with you soon. Yeah. All right, bud. See right. ya. See you, man. Bye. Bye. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Liquid Drum, liquiddrum.com down in Waco, Texas. Uh, my good friend Todd Meehan runs an amazing percussion company down there. Great merch, great content. Check him out, liquiddrum.com. Also, Kyle Dunleavy, dunleavypans.com, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y pans.com. Kyle Dunleavy makes and builds all the steel drums that I perform and teach on uh, in so percussion as well as at NYU and Princeton. Uh, he's an amazing, amazing tuner builder. Um, just a really nice guy. Very dependable. Check him out. If you are interested at all in steel pan advocacy, uh, want to learn more about the goings on uh, in pan in Brooklyn, check out paninmotion.com. My good friend Kendall Williams, uh, Jerry Guy, Trisha Guy, and uh, Arisha John run an amazing organization called paninmotion.com. Check him out. And finally, Aliandre Mirage runs an amazing uh, clothing apparel company in Brooklyn that is steel pan centric. You can check him out at Mango Chow, C-H-O-W, clothing.com. I own a bunch of his shirts. They're amazing, very stylish, uh, beautiful, beautifully made. Check them out. Mango Chow, clothing.com. Okay, hope you're well. Talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs>